Well, worship team, thank you for leading us. Eric, Jesse, Kyle, Tracy, uh, I think I hit, and Thomas, all of them leading us. Isn't that great to be led? And I, I love it when uh, I can hear you singing right along with that. It's like this heavenly chorus. Seriously, I just, I just love it. Hearing your hearts poured out as you're worshiping the Lord. So thank you. That's an encouragement. You know, for me, there's been a lot of uh, sad things uh, over the last few weeks. And no, I'm not talking about the sadness that, yes, I do feel as I think about uh, not interacting with all of you as frequently. We are living in the area, but I I know we won't see each other as much. And for me, that is a a sad thing because I do love you uh, and appreciate the ways that uh, you are serving for God's glory. No, I'm talking about the sad, concerning stuff that I've seen going on right around me. Uh, I was in the mall just about a, a week ago, and in the span of less than an hour, I saw five young adolescents in their early 20s, so I guess they're not adolescents, but anyways, young adults, five of them that are confused of whether they're going to be a guy or a girl, and we're in some stage of a transition in the midst of that. And I just thought, oh, that is so sad to, to, for me to see. In this past week alone, I've interacted with four different people in marriages where there's been a severe wound as a spouse has been unfaithful. It just breaks my heart. A few weeks ago, it felt like it was every single day I, I would turn on the TV and would hear of some mass shooting happening. Just these people acting out of their anger and their hurt and just devastation that's resulted I read something recently, a statistic that said since January, there has been more than one per day of mass shootings. Only a few of them rise up and we hear about them, but the frequency of these is just alarming, is concerning, is just heartbreaking to see happen. And then, you know, as election season ramps up, there's all the divisiveness and arguments and slander and gossip. Matter of fact, saw uh, a TV show where it was the people on the TV were arguing about what the uh, elected officials were arguing about. It's their turn now to, to argue. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just sad. And it would be one thing if it was just out there. But no, there's examples of some of these things right in our midst that are sad and concerning. And so it can start to feel a little bit overwhelming. But in the midst of that, as I've been looking at God saying, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? What would you have me do? One of the things that I've seen happen is in my heart, there's this increasing compassion. And I would say passion to see what God wants to do in the midst of that, how he might use me, how he might use us. The question that keeps coming to mind is, Lord, how can we increasingly speak your truth? in the midst of these situations and to these people? How might we be a people who increasingly come alongside those people with your grace and your love in a way that they might know who you are, follow you, experience the good things that you intend for their life instead of these things that are just hurting them and hurting other people? I'm thinking, this is why Jesus came, right? He came that we might see that all those wonderful things said in the Old Testament, this is what it looks like. This is the good life as God intended. We see it embodied in Jesus. But more than that, it wasn't just for inspiration or motivation, but to make possible a relationship with God. He died for us and didn't just stay in that grave, but was resurrected. Resurrected in a way that we then could know that same power over sin and death, that we might know this God into eternity, 
because of what Jesus has done. He loved us so much he died for us that we might know life with him as he intended. This is what he had in mind when he said, go make disciples, be my witnesses, reach out to these hurting people, help them see what it means to be a follower of me. I firmly believe that as we as a church faithfully, compassionately engage in a bold, helpful manner, these hurting people, there will be an incredible difference that God does. I think we're better positioned than anyone else to make a difference. And that isn't just wishful thinking or, or just, you know, a sermon on, with the guy on his, out, trying to get you on his way out trying to say, hey, rah, rah, we can do this. This is good. No, it's reality. It's reality again in these last few weeks. I've got to see firsthand. High school camp. We've got a young adolescent in this case there who's trying to figure out if he's going to be a boy or he's going to be a girl. And then decides, no, I'm going to trust how God created me and that maybe he knew what he was doing in the way he created me. And I'm going to stick with that. Praise God. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how I've talked to people this week, people in our midst, encouraged by you, going through at very, very difficult times in their marriage. And I said, how are you doing? They said, you know, every day I'm feeling God's strength. I know he's with me. And I know that because I'm being supported, encouraged by this church family. Making a difference. I came back from being on vacation to wonderful stories about people I had been working with who were from this church and were at each other. Nasty argument, did not like to be around each other, felt deeply hurt by one another. And came back to stories of, well, they chose to confess their sins to one another and be reconciled. And tears and hugs were happening, I hear. I love it. That's the gospel change that Jesus wants to be about in all of our lives. So what does it mean for us to increasingly personally participate in that? What does it mean for us as a church to continually step into that in radical, wonderful ways like I've just shared? Well, the good news is that today's scripture is talking about those very things and can equip us for that, bringing the help of Jesus to the hurting people right around us. Before we open up the scriptures, will you join me once again in prayer? God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who reached out to us and continually reaches out to us in our places of hurting and pain. A God who loves us, a God who redirects us in the midst of our sinful, poor choices. So God, as we open up your word, we pray a couple things. First of all, that you would truly open up our hearts to hear and receive what you want to say and speak through these scriptures to us personally, to us as a church, and that you would move our hearts to then respond in faith, to engage the hurting people right around us in ways where, once again, you get the glory and we get to enjoy the gift of your grace actively working in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. So open up your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. It's a short little book, three chapters. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a whole lot of Scripture all throughout the book of Titus, and we'll be able to get the overarching focus and theme of this book. You ready to look at a lot of Scripture this morning?
Well, ready or not, here we go. So <laughs> open up those Bibles of yours. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, it'll be on the screen. You also have a bulletin where you can take some notes. I'm going to ask you uh, to underline, um, to bold things. So if you've got your own Bible, it is okay. It's a good thing to write in your Bible. It draws your attention to important things. So as I say circle or underline different words, I pray that you'll do that, and it'll be an encouragement well beyond just even this sermon right here. Now, we've been looking at First and Second Timothy and Titus. Today, we conclude our study in Titus. Now, First Timothy and Titus have something in common, is that they are giving encouragement and specific qualities that are needed in a leader. Needed in a leader so that they, as well as the people around them can be equipped to bring God's help and, and healing and hope to those who are hurting. Now, as we, we dive into this book, what you'll see, and you've hopefully seen, it's the, true in uh, the letter to Timothy, it's true in the letter to Titus, these guys are placed in the middle of churches where there are harmful things being taught. You heard last week, one of the, the primary ones taught by people who are following God is the harmful, incorrect teaching that in order to be in that relationship with God, you need to be circumcised. Ouch. And then double ouch, people were believing that and doing that later on in life. Double ouch. Ooh, right? Harmful teaching. People are believing and it's causing harm to them and to other people around them. And as you pick out any of the things I mentioned at the opening of the sermon, any of those situations, underneath every single one of those is people believing something that's not true. There's a false teaching that they've subtly bought into, whether it's people that are unbelievers or it happens to us as followers of Jesus as well, where we subtly believe the lies around us. And that's why Titus starts off in, in chapter one. If you're there, please look at this. Follow along with me. Titus 1 verse 9 says that a leader in the church must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Hold firm. Underline that. Hold firm. Very important concept. And why? The verse goes on. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. You can underline that. We're going to come back to that. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. Hopefully you have three things underlined. Hold firm. Sound doctrine and rebuke. Let's look at hold firm, first of all. There is a need, let's be honest, for a Holy, inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired boldness, a confidence that in the midst of interacting with people who maybe want nothing to do with Jesus, who might even deny that they have a need or reject anything we'd say, we hold firm and say, no, this is what people need the most. And we know it because we've seen the difference it's made in our lives, Right? They need the truth of who Jesus is. They need a relationship with their creator. Now, as Paul's writing to Titus, he realized that this wasn't an easy crowd. You might be thinking of people around you that are, uh, are difficult to interact with, not favorable to the things of God. Well, how does it compare to this? <laughs> the people in Crete had a pretty... Uh, tough reputation for bad behavior. If you look at uh, Titus 1, verse uh, 12, it says this, one of the Cretans, so a prophet of their own, said this about them. He says, they are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Evil beasts and lazy gluttons. 
Not the kind of people you want to go and hang out and reach out to, right? <laughs> the type of people you saying, I don't want anything to do. And then what Paul says, yep, I've been around them and this testimony is true. It's a reality. Not only that, he goes on to in verses 15 and 16, describe it more. He says, both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Did he leave out anything? Wow. This is a tough crowd. People who've been deceived. People who are refuting the truth and saying, oh, acting all godly or spiritual, it would be the word we might say today, as the same things will happen today, right? There will be people who deny the things of God, that push back, get defensive, maybe even reject what we say. And not just what we say, but who God is. And that's why Paul goes on to say in, in verse 13 there of chapter 1, he says, Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. I love that goal, sound in the faith, that there may be this relationship with God. And they're going to need that pointed correction. Now, the word rebuke uh, is mentioned over 100 times in the Bible. And in this short little book, it's mentioned three times in the verses we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to come back to that because I have the feeling as, well, Inigo Montoya might say, I do not think that means what you think it means. It didn't mean what I thought it meant as I looked uh, more into it. So we'll come back to that. But first, we need to look at what Paul's talking about as far as sound doctrine. Look at Titus 2.1. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, chapter 1 has made it clear that leaders are to teach. And so some of you might be thinking, oh, great, I'm off the hook. It's Tom, the other people that need to do that, Alex, etc. No. Chapter 2 makes it clear that this is all believers that he's addressing here, right? When he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. It's everyone. He, he goes on, if you, if you look at chapter 2 there, he's look, kind of like looking around, thinking of the, the church going, oh yeah, you that are older, you, yes, men and women, yes, you're supposed to be teaching this. Oh yeah, and younger people, you're not off the hook. You too. Okay, he's encouraging them, them in the same ways. Even kind of going over to the indentured servants around him saying, yeah, you all need to be about this. It's that important. So what does sound doctrine mean? How many people have used that word in the last week? Not many, right? Yeah, so what, what does that mean? So I've spent some time looking at this and you go, well, that's easy for you, Tom, because you know, you're a seminary guy, but I'll help you in a moment with that. Sound doctrine means this, properly applied teaching so that all of life is healthy and working well together. Some of you might even see uh, shalom and, and the Old Testament meaning of shalom uh, echoed or foreshadowed even in that. So sound doctrine is properly applied teaching so that all of life is healthy and working well together. Now you're like, okay, how, how did you get to that? Good news, you too don't need to go to seminary, although it's very helpful, can get to these rich meanings of some of the original words. Let me show you how. On the screen right here, I want you to write this down, biblehub.com forward slash interlinear. This is a place you can go to when you get a word as you're studying the Bible in the morning or in a small group setting, and you're going, I'm not sure really what that means. Here's where you can go and you can find out exactly the fullness of the language that we have trouble capturing in the, in the English language. Or maybe some of you have seen this when you're reading two different translations of the Bible and 
referring to the same thing. They use a very different word, and you're like, okay, so which, which is it? Here's a place you can go, okay? So if you were to enter that in, you would be taken to a page that would look like this. Very top, you would enter in, okay, sound doctrine. I'm not sure what that is, so you plug in Titus 2.1 up top. And then in interlinear, you can see what happens. Go ahead and go to the, the next slide here. It has a way of taking the English, that's the red word there, sound, right? And then it shows you all that gobbledygook letters there. That's Greek and is showing you the original Greek word with it. Okay, and those of you that don't read Greek, I'm not sure how much the, uh, the pronunciation above it helps, hagidanyadianios or whatever. Um, but then what will really help is that number, and that's where you want to click on that number, 5198, and it'll take you to a page like this, which has all sorts of wonderful stuff here, right? On the right-hand side, you see a concordance that lists other places where that word's used, and you begin to see in the larger context of Scripture what it is, as well as... I love what's highlighted here in yellow for you, the little word studies, okay? So again, looking at that word sound, we see that it carries with it the sense of properly and good working order, or hence healthy. Uh, looking further at more definitions means to be free from debilitation. Insert in there, free from the things that are hurting you or unhealthy, and hence functioning holistically with all parts working together. Okay, so what, what does it look like then for us to be about teaching others this sound doctrine in, in ways that everything is properly applied and that the people's life is helped by it, that they're increasing healthy and everything in their life is working better together because God's at the center of that. Let me begin by saying what it doesn't look like. So imagine someone has broken their leg. They're hurting. They're hurting bad. I mean, how awful would it be to look at them and say, what did you just do? And why did you do that? Don't do that again and get yourself to where you can get help right away, right? I mean, there's truth and some good, but the way it's been delivered isn't going to be very helpful. It might even be hurtful to someone who's already physically hurt, Right? as we stand at a distance. No, properly applied teaching for someone who's broken their leg could look something like this. It's coming down to where they're at, meeting them where they're at, loving them in the midst of where they're at. So hopefully these hurting people around you that can be hard to love, you actually know by name and care about. And if not, ask God to give you that, that love and that care. So I'm going to use my good friend Jim Mahaffey here. He doesn't know this as an example right now. So if I saw Jim and hypothetically, all these are going to be hypothetical, that he broke his leg, right? I'm not going to yell at him from afar about what he's going to do. No, I'm going to come up and say, Jim, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to see what just happened. How are you doing? Right? I'm going to relate to him from that place of care. I'm going to say, if he doesn't know already, hey, we need to get you to the hospital in the ER room where they can take care of you and, 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 and bring help and, and healing there, Right? As we interact with the hurting people around us that maybe even hurt us, do we have that boldness? Do we have that courage to walk with Jesus into those situations and speak God's truth and grace in ways that they can receive it? Or do we stand off from afar in this judgmental, self-righteous place, right? Paul goes on to talk about not only just the physical healing, but what people need spiritually. You know, you've heard us use the word, you know, have we shared the gospel? 
And you can go, what all does that mean? You know, it's the good news, okay? So what's the good news? There's many places that beautifully unpack this, describe this in scripture. We're gonna look at a bunch today. Here's one of my favorites, okay? So I encourage you, this is something to circle and pay attention to the key words that are mentioned in this, verses 11 through 13, right? So chapter two, verse 11, Circle this, reflect on this, because this is the gospel reality that Paul is saying to highlight as you're interacting with these hurting people. Verse 11, I'll read it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You call all that, right? I mean, there's a lot in here. And what I encourage you to do is not just circle it, but to, to think on it and think about what would it look like to bring this into the conversations with the people who are hurting around you in a way that can bring God's grace and encouragement to them, right? Because this is all about grace, as you see right away. A grace is right, right, right in the front that God has saved us, not because of what we've done and not in spite of anything that we're gonna continue to do. He has saved us, not of works that any of us might boast. No, it's all about God, what he's done, what he will continue to graciously do as he loves us. It's the only reason we can have a relationship with God is what God's grace has done on our behalf. And because of this new relationship, we begin to not only recognize those things that are unhealthy, but begin to be able to say no by the power of God's spirit to those things. We are saved from those ungodly and worldly passions and all the hurt that comes from. And we're saved to a relationship with God where we're able to choose things like living self-controlled, upright, and all the godly characteristics in the midst of our lives by God's grace. And there's this hope. There's hope for us of people who will blow it, who will sin and fall short, that there's a God who redeems There's a God who takes the broken, the left out, the left behind and enters in and loves and redeems and brings good from those. Genesis 50, one of the great, what they intended for good, evil, God intended for good for the saving of many lives, redemption. That's what God's about. And then this whole thing of purifying, not only forgiving us, wow, time and time again, a God who then sanctifies would be the big word we would use, who continually grows us up, matures us, develops his character within us as we are open and allow him to do that. And even in times where our hearts are hardened, keeps pursuing, keeps loving us in those ways. So what does that look like? To not stand off at a far and just say, you've blown it, repent real quick here. Yeah, but is that properly applied? Is that in a way that people could receive? Or once again, are we willing to come alongside those that are hurting? And I'll use Jim hypothetically, you hear me, as an example, if he made the stupidest choice he would ever make and had an affair on his amazing wife, Louise, but he, he's faithful, so they're good, okay? So hypothetical, we all right? 
You okay? All right, you're with me. Good. Um, and literally, I'm going to just share a little glimpse of what God um, put on my heart as I was interacting with someone months ago where there had been infidelity and um, painful, hard situation. Literally was, was praying both on the way, not knowing what I was walking into, and then really praying like a madman as I was hearing what was unfolding. It was disorienting. And in the midst of that, God gave me words, as he will to each of you, to say to the friend who is hurting, man, I am so sorry to hear this. And here's what I want you to know. God can redeem even this mess you've just made. Hold on to that, because there's going to be a lot of things that are going to cause you to doubt that. And then as we went then into the room where his wife was, Yeah, it's like, all right, you, you need to leave this person. You need to cut off all communication. There's that renouncing, stepping away from the things that are not, not of, of God. And then for both of them, it's saying, you know what? God's still present in the midst of this mess, and especially in this mess, is going to bring something good. God's going to forgive you, insert person's name, God's going to enable you to forgive. As you keep looking to him, he will do more than what you could even imagine in this moment. That's the hope. That's the redemption. That's the saving. That's maybe one way. Who, who are the hurting people around you? What does it look like to come, yes, with love and in compassion and come with that grace and that truth and, and interact with them in a way that God can do more than we would ask or imagine? Titus 2.15, if you look again, says this, declare these things, all that he just referred to, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That all authority is Matthew 28. God says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Okay, it's not our authority, it's the authority of God that his presence, his truth. So here's the word rebuke again. I promise you we'd come back to it, Right? I want to spend a little time here because I think this is another one of those words that it does not mean what we think it means. The definition, as I looked it up again on Bible Hub, okay, like I just showed you, means this, to convince with solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose unhealthy beliefs and behavior. We are going to interact with people who deny the truth, who are unaware of the sin in their own lives. So this is, a, a yes, a correction with their best interests in mind and done in the way that God has dealt with us, right? Not in this judgmental, self-righteous, you broke your leg, why'd you do that, you dummy? You know, no, no, that's not what's being talked about. And we can know that by the very next things that he's writing. And I could take you to a bunch of other places in scripture, but look just at Titus chapter three, verses one through two. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to be gentle, strength under control, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Again, you see, you see that heart there of what the word rebuke in the context means. No, it wouldn't be a judgmental, self-righteous thing, arguing and quarreling in this 
ungentle way. No, the very things he's encouraging, reminding them is the very things of hopefully what this leader or this person's doing as they interact with other people. So they could say, do as you've seen me do, right? Not be critical, condemning, self-righteous as we interact with people. But yes, we might need to be repeatedly uh, encouraging them, exhorting them, reminding them. We are people who develop habits of thinking and behavior, and we keep sometimes returning to those. And we need those gospel reminders. We need those friends that can keep saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't go back there, right? Keep turning, trusting Jesus in the midst of this. So what does that look like? Let me give you a little handhold that uh, a friend passed along to me and reminded me of even uh, this week. It's to ask curious, good questions. To explore what's going on in someone's heart. Explore what they're thinking. Why they're feeling acting this way. To hear them out. To ask the question, where's God in the midst of this? To ask the question, what, what are the, the scriptures that come to mind? Let me give you one last example. Jim's going, oh man, is he really going to do this again with me? I didn't tell Jim ahead of time, so if he isn't talking to me out in the lobby, now you know why. You know, he's like, no, no. Some of you are thinking, I'm glad he didn't come to me. But say again, and this is, uh, if I was interacting with Jim, hypothetical, you know, I'm now, think, a month, two months down the road, You don't do this in the middle of when they're hurting and the chaos is hitting, but please do this at some point. It's that reminder, keep coming back, is to say, what do you think was going on for you while you did this? What what, what, what reflections, what thoughts do you have? I'm just a horrible person. Well, no, you you know Jesus and his spirit. So what what was going on? What's the hurt? You know, and just letting someone tell their story. Be curious, generally, to let, let them share that with you. And then then as they share that, ask those good questions like, where do you think God is in the midst of this right now? What what scriptures have been coming to mind? And and literally ask that that person that I'm I'm mentioning here that, and they had some scriptures and I had some more to to bring to them. I said, don't forget, as a matter of fact, this was one that mentioned in the very first interaction when the chaos hit. I said, hold on to the truth of Romans 8, a God who works all things together for good, Right? And then in the interaction, continually pointing them back to Jesus, graciously doing it. That's what that reminder looks like. That's what a loving rebuke looks like. It's not that judgmental, self-righteous that maybe some of you, like me, can have in mind and maybe even painfully have uh, experienced. Where's God in this? What does he want to say to this? And then here's so, so important. Write this right next to the verse I'm going to lead you to is the word humility. Oh, man, may we be a humble people as we interact with the hurting people around us. Listen to what Paul says there in verse 3. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Right? Paul's saying, hey, you, you Cretans, all the nasty things that are being said about you, I can relate. They've been said about me too. And they've been true about me too. And as Paul would go on and say in other places in his letters, some of that's still true as I'm in process of you know, growing. He says, I'm one of the chief of sinners in need of God's grace just as much in, as any person is. So I, 
Love that humility. May we be a humble people, remembering what God's done in, in our lives, right? Remembering that, remembering how he's worked and, and coming similar to a gracious, loving, humble place to others that are hurting around us. For those of you that were here last week, you, you saw a beautiful picture of this as uh, Jesse was preaching. If you haven't listened to the sermon, I encourage you to listen to the sermon. Jesse, uh, near the end of the sermon, confessed his areas where he's still in need of growth. So one of them was that he gets very angry when FSU, Florida State, loses in football games, which for him in the last years has been a lot. I can relate to that. My team, same thing. <laughs> but then, can you believe that? If you were there, you would hear him. Uh, he confessed that when he's at stoplights, he picks his nose. <laughs> I laughed and I thought, I can't believe he just said that publicly. And uh, I, I, I said something to my wife like, I, you know, I can't believe he does that. He goes, well... My wife, Tori, says, well, you do the same thing occasionally. I'm like, oh, jeez, this is getting far too personal here, right? But, you know, those semi-serious things aside, Jesse went on to confess areas that I know he's not proud of and embarrassed by and would love to see changed. But there was this confession, and what I loved about it, more than all the great words that he also said, was it had this thing of saying, do what I do. Do what I do of... Boldly coming before the Father, confessing your sins to one who wants to purify, forgive you in the midst of it. Do what I'm doing is imperfectly following Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And as we interact with the hurting people around us, may there be a similar humility, right? May there be that similar humility because even if they may reject it initially, I promise you, I promise you this, they're watching and more than what we say, they want to watch who we are. They want to see if that gospel is really making a difference in our lives. So continually, humbly interact, humbly look to God for the good he wants to do in the life of you and others. My last thing I want to highlight out of these scriptures is this, is make sure you're always pointing to the life-changing grace of God. That's what it's all about how that's been expressed through Jesus perfectly to us. We can receive that. Our lives can be changed. And, and the scriptures speak of this all throughout. And I love the different ways that they approach it. To me, it's instructive to say, isn't it like you have to have this formula when you're interacting with people? You gotta say it exactly right, right? I mean, there is truth that we need to point to. But we can use illustrations and things. Listen to some of how it's described. Let's go back to Ezekiel just briefly. I'll read this. Listen to how Ezekiel is communicating that gospel good news. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Ezekiel is speaking the words of God when he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Hear that? purifying, again, that, that grace. He goes on and says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. On your own, you can't do it. It's this grace. So I'm going to give you my very spirit to say no to that, that's hurtful, and say yes to life as I intended it. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. 
and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. A lot of S's in that. (laughs) Or Jesus, listen how Jesus communicated to Nicodemus, someone who on the outside was like, hey, he's got it all together. He's one of those religious leaders and everything, right? And that's so often, I think, the case with hurting people is we don't like people to know we're hurting, right? We'll not only be defensive or deny it, but then we kind of put on this mask of, oh, everything's all together. And this is what we see going on with Nicodemus. And Jesus says to him, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born of water and the spirit, that person cannot enter the kingdom of God. Or let's come back to what Paul says here in Titus chapter three, verse four. Again, listen to the gospel good news. Circle this. Let this be instructive for your heart or as you're encouraging other people. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, again, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Oh, it's all about grace. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's so much here that we can hold out to people in our interactions with them that points to the heart of God, that points to the grace of God available for all of us. Verse 8 says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. It's that boldness, that passion, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. May we be a people that compassionately engage the hurting people around us and do so Boldly, holding on, holding firmly to that sound doctrine, interacting full of grace and love and truth with them, that they might know the hope, the healing of Christ. I'm not going to read it. I'll draw your attention to it as we close that, again, it's not about being quarrelsome, arguing with people. Titus speaks directly to that as he closes, and it's the same thing he says to Timothy. I'll end with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. God, I want to say thank you for the people you're once again drawn to my mind. People like (laughs) Daryl, who's reaching out to me. High school student had seen his own parents' divorce. Who had that, I had that appearance of being godly, but man, I was hurting inside. Thank you for reaching out to me, guys like Daryl, who reached out to me even though I told him I was fine with God just being a part of my life, not Lord of my life. Oh, so foolish. Thank you, God, that uh, you continue to pursue, just as you do now, pursue me through people like Joe and Kevin. I won't 
embarrass people, but names of people in this church community. You continually pointing me to you, Jesus. Continuing the good work you've begun in my life. God, as I reflect on that, I want to be increasingly one of those people. I want us as a church family to be the people that reach out to the evil beasts, lazy gluttons, detestable people around us and love them well like you've loved us well. To bring the hope, the healing of your gospel to bear in our interactions with them in ways that they can properly apply it and know the hope, life-saving grace that only you, Jesus, can bring. So God, as we open up the scriptures, we ask that you would make us not just hearers, but doers of the word. And as we close, we ask the same thing. Would you draw to mind the hurting people that we're going to interact with maybe as we leave here today? For sure in our week, there will be someone. God, would you stir our hearts that we might view them, interact with them in the way that you do. That the hurting people would either get to know for the first time or even better, you, Jesus. We love you and commit ourselves to you again in this week, gladly, in his name and for your glory.